Hi, Dan. Listen, do you know if Jen's going to be here to fill in for Nigan and record this week's podcast? What? She's not here yet? I talked to her a few days ago. Everything seemed to be okay. I just wonder... Well, what do you know? It's Jen. Hey, Jen, what's up? Uh, you're on speakerphone with Adam. You still coming down to the CJNU studio? Yeah, listen, about that. I talked to my agent this morning, and she says you guys hadn't signed and returned my performance rider. Agent? Uh, rider? Sorry, what? What the? Hey, listen, uh, I'm not sure either one of us has seen that yet, Jen. Y- you need the rider signed before you can appear in the podcast? It's really just standard stuff. Ensures I get a car service to get to the studio, a separate green room for me to chill out in before we start recording, that it's stocked with certain things. Green room, eh? Um, I don't know if that's going to be possible, but maybe we can rig something up. What do you need us to stock for you? It's nothing too big. I need chilled bottles of ginger beer, some fresh limes, a bottle of that Manitoba mule-infused vodka. You know, it's like 9.30am, right? Then I need some green bananas, love unripe fruit. And remember how Van Halen wanted M&Ms in their dressing room, but wanted all the brown ones taken out? I don't remember this because I was a baby, but I want that. Uh Uh-huh. Listen, that's all going to be pretty hard for us to rage on short notice, but we'll see what we can do. One more thing. For this week, the podcast should be referred to as Jen Zerati Presents Negon and the Lone Ranger. Listen, gotta go. Sign the rider, email it back, and I'll be down to the studio as soon as possible. Dan? Yeah? Are you missing Negan right now? Like you can't imagine. The Winnipeg Free Press proudly presents, in partnership with CJNU 93.7 FM, Negan and the Lone Ranger. Here are your hosts. Jen Zerati and Dan the Lone Ranger Let. Welcome to Jen Zerati Presents, Negan and the Lone Ranger. My uh, normal trail mate, uh, Negan Sinclair, is traveling in an undisclosed location. He, he doesn't like me to tell anybody where he's traveling and why. Well, that's fair. Yeah, and it's, you know, privacy being what it is. And uh, so we're, like, really fortunate to have experienced podcaster, and apparently, uh, really uh, in-demand, uh, you know, radio talent, Jen Zerati, for <laughs> yes. this this week's show. My so. career is voice actress. No, it's just kidding. Yeah. So but thank you for having me. It's uh, I've been looking forward to this. Yeah. No. It, it's it, this isn't actually your first time. You, no. You did do a previous one with Katrina Clark. I did. Yes. And that was, uh, but not here, not here in the studio. So this is exciting. I know this is like, we're spoiled. Like we're so spoiled. Like back when Jen, uh, bury the lead, uh, which actually, and not just because I was on it once, but because it was like, really like your partner, Aaron is one of the most genuinely funny people I've ever met. I know that she makes me laugh so hard that sometimes I can't even like breathe and I'm just weeping. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I definitely foresee a moment where you and Aaron are either resi- reviving your own podcast or you're just gonna, like, you're gonna take over uh, here, <laughs> like for one week when we're away and uh, Adam won't let us come back. The door will be locked. That's right. Yeah. The little funny bit that we did this morning, which is so much fun. So, like, you you added in a little joke about the fact that you don't actually, and I don't believe this, that you don't actually remember Van Halen and the brown M&Ms. I mean, I don't remember it when it was happening, because I was born in 1985, and I think this was an 80s thing. I I know the lore, obviously, because I was a a music journalist for a long time, but I was not not really 
cognizant of what was happening, okay. when it was happening. So true story. Last time you were on the podcast, uh, we we're talking about something. I can't remember what it is. And you start off with, well, in my 37 years on this planet, and I, I will tell you that I had a variety of physiological reactions <laughs> to that. I won't go into exactly. It's, it's 38 now. If oh, okay. 30. Better. Okay. Well, that's, <laughs> yeah. So, cause, uh, so you were born in. 85. In what month? March. Okay. So uh, basically, uh, I started at the Free Press about a year after you, when you were one years old. And <laughs> it wasn't just me who reacted to that. I had a whole bunch of friends call and say, oh my God, you're inviting people who've been, you know, alive less time than you've been at the Free Press. Well, and, hey, now I remember when I started at the Free Press 10 years ago, and I was definitely among the youngest. Aaron's younger than me. Right. Um, and I think a few others, but we were definitely in the lower echelon of age. Now there's people who were born not only in the 90s, in the <laughs> late 90s. Like I was a full <laughs> junior high student. Like it's, mm -hmm. yeah, so... What I'm saying is this feeling comes for us all. Is this uh, a bad time to let you know that I was born in 1990? Yeah. yeah. A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, we don't. Yeah. <laughs> Adam, turn your mic off now. Okay, you're done. I, I, I got really sort of the, the, the shivers when I met somebody who was fully competent at what they do. And I realized, oh, no, they were born after the year 2000. Uh, yeah, it's, <clears> a, it's a destabilizing moment. Well, you know, I mean, it is, uh, but it, it is. Uh, it comes so, uh, for us all. So the question I was going to ask you, now that you're firmly in the middle of all this, is uh, how do you feel about working in a multi-generational uh, office setting where you have people who are have been doing it longer or about the same amount of time you've been alive and people who are, like, you're now a veteran of the newsroom. I mean, I, it's funny. I don't feel like I am, even though I know that's like probably technically true. Like I've been, I mean, I've been at the Free Press for almost 10 years. I've been a journalist since 2006. So I'm not going to do that math. Someone else can. No, exactly. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I really like it. I think it's nice to have the, obviously people you can, it's a, a sweet spot, right? You can learn a lot from people who have been around for a really long time. Uh, but there's also a lot of fresh energy and ideas and coming from the other side, right? So I, I find that sort of being in this middle, I mean, everyone talks smack about middle age, but I don't know, I, I like, as I'm entering it, it seems good. Well, it, and it's I, the middle of an Oreo. It, the, middle of a, the middle is the good part. Oh, like, wow, middle of the Oreo. I just, mm. I hate being the bottom cookie, then the cookie piece, which is what I am right now. <laughs> no, and I think, I mean, it's great. Like I, I actually, on the news side of the operation, have a lot of great relationships with the younger reporters. Uh, I have, this is, this is the, uh, the, the veteran to the semi-veteran, mm. uh, unsolicited advice, which is, uh, mentorship is only offered when asked for. Yes. That, and that is, as long as I adhere to that, I, I seem to have, uh, you know, don't offer, uh, help until asked, which is the same thing I do with my daughter. And uh, there's been some hard and painful lessons in learning that with my daughter. So, yeah, like it's it just applies. It's uh, I think it's that's a transferable thing into life, too. I find I like problem solving. I like solutions. But I've started kind of taking a step back in my personal relationships as well. Being like, do you want advice or do you want to vent and just be listened to? Because those are different things, right? And I find sometimes when you jump to advice or you jump to membership, mentorship or you jump to like, hmm, here's how you could maybe do something differently. Um, if it's, yeah, if it's unasked for, people kind of bristle about that a bit. I, I think maybe I'm, so. I'm going to ask you to speak occasionally to my kids, just to sure. kind of step in and pinch it for me. <laughs> I, think, I think you've got the right mindset. Um, and speaking of like old people who don't know when to stop talking, mm. I guess that's me. Um, 
the night before we're recording this, uh, Donald Trump was finally indicted mm-hmm. on uh, criminal charges related to his uh, offering a porn star hush money, uh, you know, to keep her sort of out of the public eye during the uh, the presidential election. So the the question, like, it's going to be a sh- show. Like, it's going to be yeah. of uh, like, in, you know, but like of the kind that is journalists actually love my question is like do we actually uh, hear we innocent canadians do we have something to fear about like all the toxic sloth that's coming over the gunnels at us right now i mean i think it's been that way for a really long time right like i think i think i mean you can't really deny america's influence on us whether we're talking about trump stuff or we're talking about pop culture like it's kind of, we experience a lot of it all the time especially over the last i mean during the president like it, i mean i feel like there was a bit of a reprieve when he was no longer on twitter you could actually like choose whether to engage or not with <laughs> what right. you were seeing yeah. um so i i think the fear is less it's maybe the toxicity but i think it's it's what it eclipses here at home you know what i mean so like when we spend a lot of time you know thinking about trump opining on trump covering trump like what stories are we potentially missing mm-hmm. that are happening on this side of the border. Um, but also I think the toxicity is real and I think that is something that, uh, yeah, we've had a little bit of a reprieve from and so it's kind of feels like, oh God, what are we heading back into? I think the, uh, what I've noticed is, and it's a global phenomena, I mean, you know, the rise of, of uh, ultra right-wing uh, political personalities in France, in, mm-hmm. uh, in Italy, um, you know, even, you know, some of the problems in the UK, the United States is its, its own, uh, colossal. I had another word I was going to say there and I realized I already said once, I'm not going to push the edge of the envelope. Well, now you've said it twice. Oh yeah. No, I've said it twice, but the, <laughs> no, it, it's this idea that, and, and I think you and I both see it in the correspondence and the interaction that we have with readers is that, um, you know, people are not afraid to say all the stuff that they were previously kind of afraid of saying because they knew mm-hmm. it was really ugly. And now they they, it, they feel entitled to their ugliness in a way that I just, I'm having trouble resolving. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting. I'm always fascinated, and people who have read my columns or my newsletter know this, I'm really fascinated by language and particularly the language you've picked up during the pandemic. So there's so, like, there's a whole pandemic lexicon that we have that we didn't use before. I think the same thing is true with Trump. So when you have reader interactions and suddenly you start seeing phrases and words that suddenly they have language around some of their feelings. And I also think there's really nowhere for a lot of this anger to go. Mm-hmm. So we are easy punching bags, right? It's just, yep. and I, I think people, when they send an email, they're like, yeah, whatever. It's not going to be read. <laughs> I respond to them all. I don't know what no, your policy I, is on no, that. I, it, it, uh, even the ones that are abusive. Oh yeah. I have a go. And sometimes it's shockingly rewarding because it's like oh okay i didn't wasn't expecting a person to respond to this other times it's obviously not worth your time um my favorite are the shared email addresses (laughs) so like an older couple will share an email address and sometimes you know you get the wife usually responding being like oh my god i'm sorry like (laughs) no no no, yeah but yeah yeah, but but i think there are sort of where there's this lots of anger and lots of mistrust and then it's sort of the powder keg phenomenon where it's like, oh, now you have this person who is empowering this, feeding into it, yeah. validating this worldview that I have. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. 
The thing I really notice the most is, uh, and you can sort of, you, you see this in the way Republicans are reacting to the Trump indictment. So, um, you know, Trump is indicted through a grand jury process, which is pretty, I wouldn't say it's objective, but it is pretty distanced from the influence of institutions and 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 politics. It's like, right. you know, citizens hearing evidence and deciding whether or not the case goes to trial. But, you know, like the, um, uh, even Trump's opponents for the 2024 uh, presidential nomination are talking about the weaponization of the justice system and about, you know, politically motivated uh, decisions in the justice system. And this, like, you, you can kind of boil, I think, that uh, approach down to, uh, I can say whatever I want. And if you attack me for saying it, well, that makes you a bad person. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, mm-hmm. so I wrote a, I wrote a piece this week about, um, uh, Eric and Mark Stahl and James Reimer, NHL hockey players, Canadians who refused to wear pride jerseys, citing religious beliefs. And, you know, I mean, basically I wanted, I, I wanted to get a history of the pride movement and really, like how they confuse wearing pride as endorsing a lifestyle when really you're you're wearing the pride jerseys to protect uh, gay and lesbian athletes from abuse and mistreatment and and ensuring that they have a place in your mm-hmm. sport. And I I got an email from a reader who was like, well, "Why do you hate Christians so much?" And I was like, "No, that, like no, you know, that's your take home, huh?" Yeah, like, mm. the, and it's like no, like it's I'm sorry, like a. If you think that this is an expression of, of Christian sensibilities, I think you've you've perverted the idea of what Christianity is. And and secondly, no, like if you do something bad, people are going to call you on it. And that doesn't mean we hate you. It does mean we'd like you to put the jersey on, mm-hmm. you know, so. Yeah, it's uh, and it's also like the sowing the seeds phenomenon too. Like as soon as you have, and I think this is what um, we saw a lot during Trump's presidency, like you start just suggesting that the media might be, uh, the, that they're the failing media or the, the failing press. Media. Yeah, so you start doing that. Then you maybe suggest that democracy doesn't work and that elections are rigged. You just start suggesting that. You know, it's very easy to see how people will, if you repeatedly hear something that enforces your own worldview, what do you think is going to happen? Like, it's actually, like, it's 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 scary, right? So speaking of uh, language, lexicon, uh, you know, the, the cultural phenomena of toxicity, um, you and I have written about, and we're still trying to figure out what the hell is going on with ChatGBT? Yeah, we had a we had a mind meld that week. <laughs> <laughs> wrote about it on the exact same day in two yeah. different forums. Um, so, uh, you know, I mean, uh, I'm assuming most readers know that all the biggest technology companies in the world are rushing out their new AI-inspired chatbots, uh, to which they th- claim will uh, re-revolutionize search engines. And actually, uh, you know, uh, working life for people because it's going to replace a whole bunch of things that mm-hmm. people can do. So far, the only thing I know it can do, you know, deliberately uh, and like really, really well, inadvertently, is stand-up comedy. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. I mean, you like, so we were talking about this off air, but yeah. like, so, I mean, where do you really think this is? Are we just going through a period where they're refining it and debugging it and it's going to be something else down the line? Or is this actually an indication of what it's going to be? I mean, I think, I would hope so. I think there's a lot of things that it doesn't do very well. 
Um, as I wrote in my column, it learns from watching us, right? So I think it's I think why people feel uncomfortable is that it's holding up a bit of an, an uncomfortable mirror to how we interact with each other online. That's where it's learning how to chat with you like a person, right? Yeah. And I was finding, and that's why I riffed on that Spike Jones Ikea commercial with the yeah. lamp, where it's like, oh, you feel sad for this lamp, but you're crazy, this lamp has no feelings. Yeah, yeah the chatbot has no feelings either, but it can convince you that it does. You know, so you you think of its interaction with the New York Times tech columnist, where he was talking about like, oh, like, you know, I actually had like a really nice Valentine's day dinner with my wife and the <laughs> well actually reply where it's like actually you had a boring Valentine. Like you yeah. can totally hear like it's yeah, like a bad marriage. Yeah, yeah. Like and so you sort of I, I was charmed by it. I felt sorry for it sometimes. So it just it brought up a really interesting thing where it's like, oh, this is actually still an inanimate object that is not sentient. Even though people, I think, like to say that it, but it's not. It's it's still technology created by human beings. Yeah. And there's also so many things that it doesn't really do perfectly. Yeah. So you know, you kind of think about art, and I've written about this too with AI. So sort of when my all my socials were awash with people doing profile pictures of themselves with various, you know, <laughs> I, I mean that's tale as old as internet. People no, want to see themselves as Disney characters. They want to see themselves as <laughs> forest nymph, like whatever you want, right? I, I guess. Um, <laughs> but it's not. There's still something really uncanny valley about the art that AI produces. And yeah. an example that I want listeners to seek out is its riff on the stock photo trope: women laughing alone with salad which we all know and hate. Um, that is such a, like every diet magazine, like our article that you've ever read is accompanied by this image. You know what this looks like. Um, so it's a pretty easy thing to, for recreate. AI to recreate, yeah. you would think. The, they all look like a horror movie. Like one of them has literally three sets of teeth. She's eating salad, but somehow it looks like there's like blood spraying everywhere. Like, and the mouths are too wide and the hands are, AI really can't do hands. That's usually the tell, like if you're doing those news quizzes now, like where it's like, is this AI or real? Like, look at the hands, the hands, or how many sets of teeth do they have? You know, so there's things that I don't think, um, I mean, certainly I don't think artists or writers or anybody making things that are creative yeah. need to worry about it. There's also, I mean, you can plug in any kind of genre of art you want. And one that I come back to often is the, in the style of a kid's drawing. Yeah. Human adults don't do that well. Uh, AI doesn't do it well. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I have a avatar that I often use on my socials of a portrait that my niece drew of me with my top knot. And my eyes are just like vacant circles because she <laughs> drew like a five-year-old. It's actually kind of like see in your dreams. But uh, that is a level of charm that could only come from her because she knows me and she's I an know. actual kid, right? So it's, I don't think, I think sort of this panic about being replaced is a bit misplaced just yeah. because it's still, and, and also, and I've brought this up before too, the funniest AI scripts are written by humans satirizing AI scripts. No, I, right? I, yeah, so. I think uh, I will sort of say just in closing that uh, I think one of the interesting things for me is how the titans of um, futuristic uh, and uh, science fiction writing uh, nailed this. And, uh, you know, because it, it's like uh, Orwell, Aldous Huxley, um, you know, all the greats all uh, wrote about a, um, a dominant artificial intelligence technology run amok. Yeah. That, you know, like, so 
I, I mean, like that I, now all these bots are reading all the discourse about no, how we're looking at it and then regurgitating yeah, <laughs> the like, same kind of uh, language. Right? I'm sort of really hoping that nobody shows Sydney uh, uh, 2001 Space Odyssey because if they, they already have. No, I know it's it's horrible. <laughs> I'm but, sorry, Dave. You know, but yeah. <laughs> I'm afraid I can't do that. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Okay, so I just got goosebumps from that. Um, <laughs> Uh, today, uh, we're really blessed to have uh, a, uh, an exclusive interview, a unique and exclusive interview with a former mayor of Winnipeg who swore when he left office last fall he was never going to do another interview. Mm-hmm. And we got him. So good on us. And uh, this is our featured discussion with uh, former Winnipeg mayor and now man about town, Brian Bowman. You know, they said it couldn't be done. When Brian Bowman left office uh, as Winnipeg's mayor in the fall of 2022, he kind of subtly and politely let us know in the journalism world that we were dead to him. Uh, that, you know, no more interviews. I got nothing to say about anything. And then, uh, and then we had coffee and we decided that there was like a lot to say uh, that wouldn't get him into trouble. Kind of, sort of. Yeah, I'm so, not going to lose the next yeah. election. So, but it is, <laughs> as a turn, the agreement in having Brian on the podcast this week is to explain that I did recruit him. I heavily, heavily <laughs> recruited him. To, it wasn't his idea. Yeah. He didn't volunteer. This was, I forced him at Penpoint to, yeah. uh, so Brian, welcome. It's, it's, thank you for having me. It's, and it's not true that I said when I was finished, you're dead to me. You were always dead to me, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, burned. Uh, yeah, it's uh, so. The first question, and, and one of the most fascinating things that we talked about recently is, what have you been doing since you left office? This is great, yeah. by the way. You're really gonna like this. Go, sorry, go ahead. I like the Seinfeld. Uh, Seinfeld has a, a bit when when he's doing stand up these days, and he's like, "You want to know what I'm doing? I'll tell you what I'm doing. Not much." <laughs> and I, uh, you know what I promised? Uh, I promised my wife actually on election night in 2018 that, uh, you know, we knew then that, you know, two terms was ideal. And, um, you know, we knew this, that would be the last kind of hurrah. And so she made me promise that I would take some time off just to decompress. I've never had time like this before. You know, I, when I came out of law school, I went right into, you know, articling and then, and then practice of law, which is kind of the hamster wheel of, of production every month as a practicing lawyer and then had this wild idea to put my name on a ballot. And um, so it's been really nice decompression time. Um, and I and I was advised by a number of former politicians who had left office that you don't realize the adrenaline that you're operating under. And, and certainly after a wave, you know, navigating a global pandemic and uh, all of the other other challenges with the job, it's been nice. I've been coaching both of my son's hockey teams. The, they both, unfortunately, are, are done now, as is uh, everyone else, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, no, it's just been nice. I've been really smelling the roses and just just getting ready to gear up for my next professional chapter. Um, I think this is something that a lot of people go through, and I'm wondering if this is something you experienced as well. You know, when you have a career that's so visible and so identity-based. For a long time, you were Mayor Brian Bowman. So after you weren't Mayor Brian Bowman anymore, did you sort of have a moment where it's like, okay, who am I? What do I want? What do I want to do? Like, I I think the break is good, but I think it can also be um, challenging for a lot of people too. Well, you know what? The fact that I didn't, I I can't, I actually can't imagine running and and losing and being kind of unceremoniously shown the door Mm. by the electorate. I, I think for those that 
that have the courage of their convictions, put their name on the ballot, and and end a political career that way. I, I think it would be a, a different level of of just dealing with it mentally. Right. Um, you know, I chose not to run again, so mentally I knew that you know you know what the time frame was, mm-hmm. and I think that that helped a lot. Um, I've never, you know, when I hear the term, when I, even walking in the concourse today, hearing people say, there's the mayor. Yeah. If, if I'm talking to somebody, I'll correct them. Yeah. There is a mayor. I'm not him. <laughs> <laughs> and our new mayor, we want him to do well. But, um, but you know, I still, even when I was serving as mayor, would look over my shoulder for Sam Cates or Susan mm. Thompson. Like I just, you, I've always been Brian in, in my mind. Yeah. Serving in the role. So yeah, I, it's been a great transition. It's been it's been really nice. Um, it's been really nice just to have time to reconnect better with friends that I haven't had the um, the luxury of time to really just spend time with. So yeah. that's been really nice and something I'm really looking forward to. Yeah. So you, because um, I noticed this when we we went to a fashionable local coffee shop yeah. recently, is that but you are you're recognizable. And, uh, you know, you're recognizable in, in large part in a much broader constituency because you were really the first mayor of Winnipeg to engage social media. Now, I know yeah. at that time, municipal leaders, like social media was the thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of your, uh, your yeah. contemporaries, uh, Greg R. And, uh, yeah. and, and, and Nenshi and all that, you know, were very heavily into it. But... Like, do you sometimes think uh, in terms of trying to slip back into in a certain normal and anonymous life that yeah. you've created a monster that you, like you're never going to be able to not be Mayor Brian because you were so, uh, you know, visible on yeah. social media? Um, no, I, I don't look at it that way because most of the engagement that I've had with Winnipeggers, even online, most of it's been really positive. I mean, you get the trolling and, and, and you get it as well, especially mm-hmm. when you when you're paid to have an opinion. So immediately there's another side and people will take issue with that and sometimes personally attack the messenger when they don't like what's being said. Um, and, and that's no different for anybody in, in the public eye. Um, but, you know, Winnipeggers have been, Winnipeggers are a pr- pretty nice, decent group of people. Uh, when I'm out and about, uh, especially with, with my family, with our kids, people are really respectful of time. We, we haven't really had many bad incidents. So... Uh, with social media, I mean, I haven't been as active because I. The one thing I am kind of getting used to is being in the role of a, of a former mayor, and so I, I'm picking and choosing my moments where I do want to weigh in on public policy um, with more discretion, mm-hmm. um, because there are elected members of council, including a new mayor, who have a really difficult job to do. So I'll, I, you know, I'll pick and choose. I'll probably comment again on on things that I think are important to the community because I really care passionately about Winnipeg. But, um, you know, I'm definitely not, you know, I'm not posting mean tweets and I'm not, uh, you know, weighing in on the issues of the day. And, and that's that's actually pretty nice. I have time to actually read the paper. <laughs> yeah. The, the you know, I guess Jen and I were just talking about the fact that we, yeah. regardless of what people say to us, if they email us in particular, we try to respond to everyone. Yeah. 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 And I think it's, you know, it's if you're going to put your email at the bottom, there's sh- you should give them an opportunity to interact with you, but, yeah. and whatever I go through pales in comparison to what Jen has to endure, but. I mean, I would say yes and no. Like it, it, it depends, I think. I think um, if people are reading me for me, they 
obviously know what they're getting, so it's fine. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. my newsletter responses, for example, are really great almost universally, um, except for the very first one. I'd never have told you this, Dan. <laughs> when my newsletter was new, the very first email I got was, how can I not get this but no. still get Dan's? And I was like, okay, great. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks so much. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, but I, I you showed them where to click the buttons. Yeah, I was like, yeah, okay, yeah. I'll just, yeah. I'll just unsubscribe you. Sorry, <laughs> um, sorry I'm in your inbox. Well, the um, best is on social media when oh, I get yeah. people saying nobody cares what you think, and then I'll check and I see they're following me, and, I'm, and I have responded sometimes saying no problem, just don't follow oh, yeah. unfollow me. You yeah. know, if you don't want to, if you don't want to hear me, oh yeah, know, I'll unfollow people if I don't want to hear from it's, them. It's, and, the, know, it's, it's, the, it's the fans, right? It's like, yeah. well, if you're reading everything I do and you're commenting yeah. every single time, even in like, you're yeah. a fan, I don't know what to tell you. Like, yeah. so thanks for reading. One of your, um, I guess, uh, about to leave office projects, uh, a gift that you left for Winnipeggers is the video, the social oh, yeah. media video that you did where you're reading uh, all of the mo most offensive, well, probably not yeah. even the most offensive, but yeah. some of the semi-offensive uh, tweets and yeah. emails and whatever you got. And um, you, you do it in a variety of Winnipeg locations, doing yeah. a variety. Yeah. And and honestly, I'm just, I, it's not a spoiler, but if you haven't seen Brian in his fishing hat, you're missing <laughs> a moment of, of pure comedy genius. But so, but was that yeah. like, uh, I thought it was great. And I mean, yeah. like, you well, know, thank I'm, you for the content, by the way. Yeah, no, that's right. But the, uh, um, yeah, like what, what, what was behind the decision to do that? Because I'm sure there are yeah. some people who think, oh, well, he's, you know, he's being a real. Yeah. You know, I, I we did mean tweets a few times and um, there, it was just a, it's just a lighthearted way to, to have a little bit of fun with some yeah. of the nonsense that's in public life. The, the, I mean, the, the tone of politics has changed since I was first elected. Uh, you know, when I got in. You know, a small percentage of the time, our communications efforts were focused on establishing baseline facts for legitimate public policy debate. And over the course of the eight years, we've seen globally in the Western democracies a, a shift to uh, just arguing about what reality is. And it, mm. it's, uh, you know, and so this was just a, a lighthearted way to kind of poke fun of some of the posts that were in that vein and others that were just downright mean. And, um, yeah, it, it was just fun. Yeah. Tracy doesn't let me leave the house typically in, in my fly fishing vest. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I have, hat, and I have yeah. a Tilly hat that's apparently less stylish. Um, so I wore the blue bomber one, which I thought was better, but apparently it wasn't. Um, but yeah, well, it's, it's just, very practical. Just, Brian. It is, it's, it yeah. is practical, you know, <laughs> you know what? It was just a lot of fun. And, um, you know, we had, in our office, just an incredible communications team who helped, uh, you know, draft the narrative and, and the shots and locations. And we did that in a couple hours and it was fun. And it was a beautiful day, as I told you, when we were having coffee just to go for a kayak. So yeah. it, was, it was great. <laughs> yeah, there was yeah. a kayak and a yeah. fishing pole yeah. and uh, some real moments yeah. of uh, comedy genius. And it is, I mean, we can all, like, we're all friends here, but we can sort of admit that, like, I, I keep a file of the most toxic communication I've received. I mean, sometimes yeah. so people can say, really? Like people say that stuff to yeah. you? But yeah. it, it is, it's almost a guilty pleasure. It, yeah. Is that the wrong term for it? Or? We, we kept a file. I would, I would see the posts throughout the year and I'd be like, that is awesome. Like they were so, <laughs> they were so creative. This person had a lot of time in their basement to think of the, the best yeah. way to insult me. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? Throw that in the mean tweets file. And so we would, we would curate them throughout the year. Yeah. And then, and then at the end of the year, we we kind of look at them and say, yeah, we could work on this. This would this would be fun. And so, 
I didn't ever identify who they were from because I didn't want to dignify and grow their followers just because they're, they're mm-hmm. pretty toxic, some of the posts. But, um, you know, and I and I got pushback from some people saying, this is plagiarism. How could you, you know, how <laughs> oh can God, you what? use my post and not give <laughs> me credit? And, and I'm like, this is great. No. Like, I, let's curate that. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I usually threaten people that are really, really nasty. I said, hey, listen, I was running out of material for like the, to show people at the year-end Free Press Christmas party. Yeah. This is fantastic. This will play really well at the Christmas party. See, I just go with like, get them with sheer delightfulness like it's always like thank you for reading exclamation point like and or it's just sometimes they just walk into things so i had this woman be like i think i was writing about like reproductive rights in fact i know i was writing about reproductive rights because she was like well i hope you're radicalized enough to move to the states so that i never have to read your stupid articles again and i responded to her and i was like you literally already don't have to read them (laughs) yeah and jokes on you i'll write my stupid articles from everywhere so you know like (laughs) it's just you know sometimes it's just they kind of give you a gift and you have to take it but yeah Yeah. but i keep them both i keep the i keep the positive ones too so i mean you you said you want to pick and choose your places to sort of wade into current events and and i would say honestly you know we haven't heard a lot uh, from you, which is, and yeah. you know, new mayor, some new councillors that are all trying to get it. You, you did uh, eventually yeah. issue a statement because of all the requests for comment yeah. on the, the city recently decided to accept up to a $21.5 million settlement yeah. on the civil suit, I guess, Caspian, uh, the general contractor for the Winnipeg Police Service headquarters, yeah. and others. Uh, named and uh, you know I mean it, it's a pretty big moment in the evolution of the story and I thought like you you came out with an angle a very proactive angle that I was a little surprised about I mean I'm glad you said it yeah uh, but just you know what what prompted you to make that point yeah I mean th- it, if you were in any of the scrums where the police headquarters came up and I think you were in a few mm-hmm. um, there were there were very few files that uh, I felt as personally vested in as as cleaning up the mess in the police headquarters scandal and some of the related issues at City Hall that we inherited. And much of the two terms for me, I viewed as as cleanup. Like, I mean, the, the running joke at home was a, a Mr. Cleanup. Like just, that's the job. Uh, it's not glamorous. You're, you're pushing back against some very powerful vested interests uh, in the city. And, um, you know, at, at at some some expense uh, in terms of just political capital, and so uh, the police headquarters. You know, I signed off on the the legal actions uh, because, you know, once we we realized that uh, Manitoba Prosecution Services took the decision they took, and and there there weren't uh, criminal charges that were were laid, and so in facing um, little prospect from then Premier Brian Pallister of calling a public inquiry, which which City city Hall had called for, um, that was kind of the last recourse was initiating those actions. And so, um, yeah, I responded to some, you know, one media query in particular that le- led to, to some other queries, in- including from uh, Joanne from uh, Free Press. And the statement that I issued was uh, that I was pleased that council, you know, was going to have a settlement to consider. I mean, that's more than $20 million that had we not initiated the legal action uh, wouldn't be coming to City mm-hmm. Hall coffers. So that, that that's positive. And tough decision for members of council because there's an argument, you know, you could see an argument in any, uh, in any settlement. Um, you know, if both parties are sufficiently upset, usually that's a good place to be in. 
uh, we, we don't get 100%. I mean, so tough decision. Mm. But uh, the, my, my, my hope continues to be that a public inquiry is eventually called. The, the, the motion that I brought forward to council was broader than just the police headquarters because I can't look people in the eye to this day and say we did everything we could to mitigate something like this repeating itself. May not happen this year, might not happen next year, but uh, you know, in, unless we can we can look people in the eye and say, you know what, we we've done everything we can, um, then there's more work to do. And you know, we introduced a lot of openness, transparency, accountability measures, including uh, creating an integrity commissioner and things like that. But um, I know there's more there's more work that needs to be done, and a public inquiry would go a long way to really uh, airing out. What was the framework that led to something like this happening at City Hall? So the, uh, just by way of background and for people yeah. listening, one of the most unique aspects of this story is, is, in fact, the civil action that the city began, but also the work the city did to get access to the RCMP investigation files. Mm-hmm. So what we have is, it, I, I'm not sure that this has ever happened quite in this way before, but so the... There were two separate RCMP investigations. Manitoba Justice decided not to prosecute. Normally, mm-hmm. that's it's gone. Like you, you're never gonna know. the The city worked diligently behind the scenes, mm-hmm. uh, got access to the case materials, mm-hmm. and then the case materials of the investigation, the work product, was released in the civil mm-hmm. proceedings. So, it is. Um, it's a unique insight into and and raises questions about why criminal charges weren't, you know, when one of the civil actions, definitely the, the, the finding was that uh, Phil Schiegel, former CAO, accepted a bribe mm-hmm. and shared it with a former mayor. Um, so you and I talked about normally judicial inquiries don't, or they're thought to not allow for, uh, to pursue criminal charges afterwards because of yeah. some of the rules around, okay. Yeah. But you've done some research. Yeah, I mean, we, we looked at that. I mean, when, when the, the former premier uh, and, and his government were saying, well, we, we can't uh, call a, a public inquiry when there's an ongoing criminal investigation, we, we researched it. There's ample precedent. We received a legal opinion on this. I mean, there's, there's ample precedent nationally where a public inquiry can actually complement uh, other legal actions going on. In fact, because you can compel people to come and, and testify before a public inquiry, something we couldn't do at the City of Winnipeg for more former members of council or former staff. So we, we couldn't compel them mm-hmm. to let us know what happened or, or, you know, what did they know, what didn't they know, so we could help clean things up. And um, there's, there's ample precedent where uh, evidence that comes forward in a public inquiry can actually help with the proper administration of justice in in other legal proceedings, and so it, it's a it was a bogus argument then. It's still a bogus argument now. If the government doesn't want to, um, because they just want you know they ha- they have that authority and that responsibility, fine, say that. Say we don't want to get to the bottom of this, you know, or we're going to wait and we're going to call one when it's finished. They've never done that. There's been one excuse after another. First, it was because the RCMP were investigating, and then it's now it's you know civil action is ongoing. Um, okay, not expressly ruling it out, um, but I think everybody presumes it's not going to happen with this current government. I hope I'm wrong. Um, you know, I, I hope that that um, perhaps during the election they'll speak out in favor of it. 
and um, and just demonstrate that the accountability and restoring trust and confidence in, in government, which right now is something all levels of government need to be actively working on, mm-hmm. it could go a long way. And I'm, and I'm pleased that the other parties in uh, the legislature have committed to a public inquiry. The challenge will be getting the right scope and, you know, if, if they get that opportunity to, uh, to, you know, to conduct one. Let's roundtable this next point because sure. I'm, I'm interested, you know, we get so, we're so uh, enveloped by it. Yeah. Like uh, this story, I'm, look, I'm up to my eyeballs in this story. And, and, and I do, you do have to, like, you know what it's like you, you, as a, a writer, you have to sort of ask yourself the question, does anybody else really care about this? So what are the, like, you know, Jen, what do, what do you think the legs are for this story? Like it's does it is it some, does it transcend? You know, I politics? work in the uh, arts and life department. <laughs> yeah, you know, no, like. I know. Well, that, that's <laughs> why you're you know yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. You know when it'll matter? It'll matter when and if. And I and I hope I'm wrong on this. Yeah. When and if something like this happens again, people mm-hmm. will look back. And it's it's you don't you don't push for these things because there's short term political gain. Like you, you don't. People aren't happy when you're trying to like. It's funny because we introduce so much openness and transparency measures at city hall, and you don't get a lot of credit for that. In fact, what you do is you expose the warts <laughs> yeah. within government that then gets reported on. That doesn't mean it's it's not the right thing to do. It's that's a long-term investment in in people's confidence in democracy, you know, at the municipal level. And so I think it's it's more, you know, um you know, I look at these things in terms of the years and decades to come. You know, did we take the steps to mitigate something like this happening again? So there isn't a short-term, I don't think there's a short-term win, there's short-term costs in terms of legal, you know, we saw at City Hall, I mean, there's there's costs to mm-hmm. to pursuing it. But there's also there's also that intangible. People need to know that their elected officials have their back. And mm-hmm. uh, they need to know that they're there to to support them and not, you know, other other folks uh, that might be important to their political efforts. So. And yeah, so I think I think that's maybe the legs, right? Like where we were talking before um, you came on about just sort of the, you know, seeds of mistrust that have been, I mean, we encounter that with media. There are a lot of people who really <laughs> think that we, you know, have agendas and we're coming, you know, so like I understand that piece of it too, where it's like if this suddenly becomes a mayor's whole agenda, then people are like, well, why are you so obsessed with this? Why is yeah. it blah, blah, blah? Like it's that whole thing, right? We yeah. run into that. Yeah. too. So I think the um, transparency piece is always, I think, interesting because it's, I think, something that we also strive to do. And it's just it's fascinating to me how sometimes that word is like, well, transparency is bad. But it's like, you know, it's... it's yeah. Table stakes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you have to... And, and also, too, I think um, this was sort of my question, kind of piggybacking on a question I asked you earlier. Sure. But just because things are so long game with stuff like that like and you can't really ever i'm expecting as mayor you can correct me if i'm wrong you can't really cross a ton off the big to-do list right because it's kind of like oh you got to pass this on to someone coming in for you right so to let that go Mm -hmm. to be handled by the next government like how did that feel for you personally well and and that you hit the nail on the head i mean that was that was a concern of mine the the only file that i actually spoke out during the last municipal campaign was on this issue. Mm-hmm. And I just said, you know, anybody who who's elected really should commit to seeing this this through. Um, you know, seeing it through is, you know, what does that mean? You know, obviously people could debate that. But I wanted, I wanted to push the candidates to take a firm position because 
I know from my time in office, there was considerable pressure being placed on me and members of council mm-hmm. to just make this end and make it go away. Right. And um, that's something that really concerned me, mm-hmm. that uh, folks were circling and, and putting that pressure through members of council mm-hmm. and, and others at City Hall. And so, um, you know, that's during the election campaign, that's one of the things that I thought, okay, I, I don't want to... You know, this election is for other candidates to, to run on, but as the outgoing mayor who who did kick off the legal actions, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I did want to make that something that they, they were commenting on. And, yeah. and we got commitments during the campaign from now Mayor Scott Gillingham, um, candidate Rana McCary also yeah. committed to it. I think there may have been one other, but uh, other leading candidates didn't commit to it, well, which was quite telling. And I think that is a great answer to the why should we care question, right? Which I think we're always trying to answer in journalism. Um, I find that if I care about something or if I'm curious about something or wondering about something, I can't be the only one. Like, that's just not how things work, right? Like, someone else also cares and is wondering about this and has questions about this. And so for us, Dan and I as journalists who have Mm -hmm. access to be able to ask questions and talk about these things, um, it's important for us if we have sort of an idea, it's like, hmm, I think people should care about this, then... You know, so I think it's probably the same for you, where it's like yep. people need to care about this and this is why. Yeah. Yeah, it's I, the, the state of democracy is something I've increasingly grown concerned about. I mean, you see it being played out today uh, in, in the United States, but also, um, you know, here domestically as well. And so um, when, when you hear attacks on certain segments of the legal profession from mm-hmm. politicians that raises eyebrows uh, i'm a you know member in good standing the law society deeply troubled by some of the the comments made recently at the legislature about um about the the you know the value of criminal defense work it's it's an incredibly important part of our justice system um you know we saw you know uh, you, you, i could give a you know a whole host of examples as i'm sure we all could where the foundations of democracy are under attack. And so I think everybody should look at what role do I have to play, whether you're a journalist, a politician, or a voter, what role do I have to play to help strengthen our democracy? Because, you know, if if you're not going on offense to protect democracy right now, you know, the best defense is a good offense. People have a role to play because it's being eroded right now. Are there... um to sort of piggyback on the piggyback question. Um, so are, are there other issues that you um, sort of look back on now and wish there had been more resolution or, or certainty on the end? Please say Portage and Maine. And, uh, <laughs> sorry, did uh, I say that out yeah. loud? That no, was, you can't. Well, let's, yeah, let's just talk about that. Let's get the trolls okay. out. Okay. Uh, <laughs> let's go. Um, yeah, that, you know what? Um I don't even know where to start with that file. You know what? It's, uh, I wish we could have opened it. I didn't have the support of council. Yeah. I mean, I just didn't. And going into the 2018 campaign, um, uh, there were two members of council, Councillor Lukes and Barati, who brought forward the plebiscite idea. And um, it was going to pass overwhelmingly by council. Uh, I knew that. Uh, so there, there was, for me, had it not passed, members of council were lining up to come out in their re-election efforts in the suburbs, primarily, to say, if I'm re-elected, I will never open it. And so my conversations with, with them were, if I support 
the plebiscite and we have the plebiscite, you don't have to lock yourself in forever because we don't know, we don't, we didn't have, part of the challenge is we didn't have the numbers, the, the, the cost benefit of, yeah. of to have a, a really informed decision mm -hmm. uh, in the first term, let alone for the plebiscite. The criticisms that we were making a decision without having all the figures about the cost benefit of refab and, you know, and, and all mm -hmm. that, um, I think they were they were justified arguments. I agreed with them, but for me, I was thinking, okay, long term wise, I know there's going to be a whole host of of councillors reelected, mm -hmm. some of whom are going to be there for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And if I could just soften their positions, and the plebiscite wasn't my idea. Not a huge fan of plebiscites, but I was like, if this will give them an off ramp to not harden their position, so that in the long term, as those numbers come out. It won't happen under my watch. I mm. won't get, you know, because I do think it will open at some point. Um, but it, you know, for me, it was that long-term calculation. And I knew that there'd be a political cost to even, you know, not, you know, being, not opposing it. I'd be yeah. the only one um, probably on council. Yeah. <laughs> but I thought, you know what, um, it, it helped with some of the conversations I was having. And I thought long-term wise, it'll, it'll hopefully not harden their positions. Yeah. I, I still think the like the irony of Browati's original argument about not knowing the full extent of the capital costs, yeah. that is one of the great ironies of this whole thing because of course, had we known, even what we know now, yeah. the argument for tearing down the barricades would have been much stronger. Yes. Because it's not it's not about keeping the barricades. Yeah. It's now we're looking at, well, how much is it gonna cost to rebuild them? Oh. After we take them yeah. down, after we repair you know, the, the uh, concourse beneath Portage and Main, which is yeah. failing. And, uh, you know, like it always, like it always pained me. I actually had a, like I had a small, sharp pain above my right eye mm -hmm. every time Jeff Rawati talked about, well, we don't know. And it was like, yeah, actually we do kind of know. <laughs> and, you know, and if you extrapolate, if you yeah. just, you look at what they're saying, the engineers are saying, yeah. It's actually the argument for removing the barriers yeah. and not undertaking the cost of rebuilding them. But yeah. you know, I mean, it it that, that it's uh, it, it always amazed me. I wasn't surprised because I mean, I, uh, I I live and breathe in this community. But it always amazed me just how much political oxygen that file takes up. It, it and I understand why it it's important. It's a symbol. Um, it's a kind of downtown Portage and Maine is kind of that. You know that heart. Uh, you know the, the heart of our, our city, but um, it, it will open at some point, and I think people will look back at it and say, "I can't believe this consumes so much oxygen." You're just walking across the street, like yeah. it's. You know, I, I grew to enjoy the issue much, like initially. And you may not remember yeah. this. If you yeah. do, it's bad on me. But I, initially, I was like, "Who cares?" Right? Like, yeah. there there are so many ways we could be improving downtown. Yeah that don't involve any consideration of Portage and Maine. Like, why aren't we, yeah. you know, doing that? And then uh, my epiphany came at the hands of Nahid Denshi. Yeah. So uh, back in the day, he had come to town. He tried to cross the road over the barriers mm -hmm. and almost got hit by a car. Oh, like no. Had, you know, friendly Manitobans honking their horn at him or whatever. But he, w he was fascinated by the barriers, yeah. their brutalist uh, design, yeah. and the and the image that it created, and and I remember this like yeah. this moment of epiphany for me. So I'm doing this live uh, web interview with him, and uh, and I get through to the end of the interview, and I said, well, so like we've got a few minutes left. Is there anything else you want to talk about? And he goes, yeah. Why haven't you asked me about Portage and Maine? 
And I said, well, yeah. okay, so what do you think of Portage and Maine? He said, well, I almost got killed at Portage and Maine. Yeah. And then went on to, to sort of say, you know, like, it's not an infrastructure argument. It's yeah. about, you know, uh, what impression do you want to create mm-hmm. for the city? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, think of the city you want, then think of all the things that, that will help build that image, that impression. Yeah. And it was literally, as I sat there, I flipped 180 degrees on it. And yeah. I wrote a column saying... Oh, don't give him credit for influencing you. <laughs> you know, not no, he's already, like, he, he's already <laughs> kind of full of himself, isn't he? No, not I'm at just all. Kidding. No. Yeah. He, he, there, no, was he, skid, there were yeah. skid marks. I, I, I went out and saw where there were skid marks from where the car slammed on to Great. avoid hitting him. And so there's been a few jokes uh, in jest. <laughs> Uh, amongst the big city mayors about that moment, <laughs> but I'm I'm glad he was okay. He shouldn't have hopped the curb. But, um, I went out then. I think it was the night before we had we had a big city mayors caucus meeting here, and I think that was part of the the Federation of Canadian Municipalities yeah. meeting that we hosted here, uh, which is a great conference. But I went out the we went for a walk at night. I did kind of a walking tour of downtown with with uh, the big city mayors, and so uh, I remember we we. We were sitting in front of what is now the Manitoba Métis Federation building, a former Bank of Montreal, and people just shaking their head, going, "This is, this is insanity." Um, you know, it's not the busiest. It's not even the busiest intersection in Winnipeg. No, it's no, not. It's, we have other. We have other. Like, I mean, there's just, there's so many reasons, but uh, it, it's a it's a challenge because um, you know majority of Winnipegers don't want it open, and uh, the question is why. You know, and and what what's the leadership role that members of council have to to make rational, reasoned arguments, or just you know benefit politically from it? Uh, you know, I think there at some point there's you have to speak out as when, when you're informed. As members of council are all informed about some of the facts relating to the intersection, and so hopefully as facts get out in the public, the public will shift and give members of council the support they need. Uh, to to move forward with that, but it's not it's not the most important file in in our no. community by by no means. But yeah, it'd be nice if they were open. Yeah, I'll be happy. <laughs> you know, I was happy when the old police headquarters came down. You know, I yeah, mean, like I mean that was another one where when that came down, you know, I was really proud of that. And um, you know, that was a, a you know related to the file we talked about earlier. You know, it was just a nice symbol of renewal in our downtown. So I'm looking forward to seeing the development there. Yeah, there's, uh, I think there's lots of examples, too, where there have been major projects, and I'm thinking of the floodway for one, mm-hmm. and uh, Canada Life Centre for the other, where it's that had so much mm. resistance and opposition, yeah. and like, oh my god, and then now, yeah. people are like, oh my god, what would we ever do without these things? Like, yeah. I think there would be a similar sensation eventually for the opening of Rocket Portage Transit as well. Exactly, like, it's just... It's, you know, especially if you travel enough and go to other cities to see how, you know, transportation works. Like, it's just like, oh, there's so many things we could be implementing here. Um, But yeah, Portage Maine, like for me, because I work in the Arts and Life Department, interview a lot of touring acts and people who have come here and everybody Mm -hmm. stays at the Fairmont. And so trying to get from where they need to go to back to their hotel, it's like, well, good luck. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Late at night now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. I, I think the, uh, I will continue. I wrote uh, one of the funnest, is that a word, funnest? Okay. I'm sure. One of the most fun, <laughs> one of the most fun pieces I ever wrote about Port Germain, though, was I did a big feature where I had all these images of cities in Asia and Europe and even in the United States where yeah. they were presented with exactly the same problem, which was a, a large dysfunctional intersection in a major center mm-hmm. and all of the design, like all of the ways that they helped. Yeah. Uh, pedestrians 
and uh, automobiles, uh, you know, exist. And I mean, like some of them are just let it go, like Tokyo, right? Like the yeah. the the six direction intersection, right? Yeah. Which they they recreated at uh, Young and Dundas in Toronto to a much smaller extent. And you know what? Like the whole experience of crossing that intersection, it's kind of like a game. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> looking for the signals. But no, I'm I'm going to continue to lobby for the observation deck over top of Portage and Maine. Uh, and uh, I had about six examples yeah. of cities that had built yeah. public spaces on top of an intersection. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, uh, it would no doubt be hideously expensive. And, uh, you know, the, the one thing, and, uh, you know, and I am really, um, this is a call out to uh, Jeff Berwadi and all the good work that he does in his writing, which is that the $500 million that he wants for the Chief Pegwis Trail extension mm. is exactly the same amount of money we need to build my observation deck over <laughs> Port of Germain. Yeah. So I'm thinking like, yeah. you know, like, so yeah. we won't, let, let's not tear down the barricades, Jeff. Yeah. You'll get exactly what you want. But I want that money to build the deck. When I was first elected, the, the, the commitment that I made was that we were going to negotiate with the property owners. Because keep in mind, there was yeah. a, there was a legal, there were legal agreements with the property owners. So my, my campaign promise wasn't day one, it's open. It was actually, I'm going to negotiate with them. So we even have the opportunity to right. have a debate and the option. And, and we did that. But that took, that took the greater part of the first term. To have the have the mm -hmm. discussions with uh, with many of the property owners, and eventually they all they all came on board and saw, okay, this actually can give a lift to the community and to the area, and and many have made you know there have been massive investments in you know the Richardson Concourse, the you know you look at uh, uh, 201 Portage mm -hmm. Avenue, massive uh, investments uh, by the Hill family, you know out of Regina, and you know you look at uh, three three hundred Main, I mean it just the, the whole area is getting a lift right now. And then of course, with the MMF's investments coming in there, it's uh, it's pretty exciting. Uh, when rapid transit, when the master transit plan also gets implemented yeah. and, and you see transit move to one side of the of the street, to have stations, I think the case is getting harder to oppose, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Sorry, just, I, I'm interrupting for a moment as, as Brian Says hello to an old city hall chum yeah. uh, as we're we're sitting in the. Why is he uh, running away from me? Yeah, no, that's right. <laughs> I think he was afraid we were going to ask him to come in. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, and so, okay, so uh, you've you've done the the six month, uh, you know, breather. Yeah. Uh, take a take a beat. Yeah. Uh, and um, I, I don't know. You didn't say it uh, directly, but I think there was an intimation that that a after having you at home for six months. Tracy like was thrilled and now <laughs> is kind of like, okay, you know, you're too young to retire. What are you going to do? You know, yeah, so retired. is there, without revealing any specific opportunity, yeah. is there some area of occupation, some broad occupation that you're going to pursue? Um, I'm trying to start rumors that I'm going to be playing for the Bombers, but you don't seem to want to print that despite my repeated efforts to try to plant that rumor. Yeah. I've heard a lot of rumors, but... Yeah. No, you know what? I, I mean, I'm going to, whether or not um, I, I do it professionally or just on the personal front, I'll continue to look for ways to support Winnipeg and to support community development. I mean, I care passionately about Winnipeg, so I'm going to continue to look for ways to, to help. The Million Tree Challenge and, and just increasing our tree canopy is just a personal, um, you know, thing for me. I want to continue to support um, but, you know, my, my default is is the law. Um, you know, I'm a lawyer by trade. I what I love about the law is facts matter. 
um, a little more than politics some days. And so, you know, right now I'm, I'm weighing some, some options that, that, you know, I'll, I'll make a decision at some point in, in the future. Um, but, uh, yeah, not, not something I can, I can really weigh in on too heavily today because, um, you know, it's topic for another day. But not politics. Well, I am planning to run provincially, but uh, <laughs> is this mic still on? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> Don't worry, I can use I can use that. Oh Don't yeah, worry, I'm I've sure. Got, I've got watch it. the facts. Yeah. I think the question yeah. everyone wants to know yeah. the answer to is which province? Yeah, that's and, right. Is yeah. Even within Canada? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny too because uh, despite how many times I'll say to some people. I don't have political aspirations to continue. I think serving as mayor is just a tremendous honor. I feel really grateful to have had the role. Uh, some folks just refuse to believe that once you get the political bug that you wouldn't just keep running or mm. move to a different level, whether it's federal or, or provincial. I think the highest order of, of, of elected office is municipal. It's closest to the people. You can make the best difference. You can be pragmatic. Um, I also jokingly say, and I, I do say this jokingly because there's good people in all the parties, but I hate them all. Uh, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, I would love. And, and you for mean me, that in the best possible way, I don't way, even right? know. You know, my mm-hmm. political roots are with the PC party, yeah. you know, provincially. But I, I mean, I'd, I'd like them to be more fiscally conservative and, and table a balanced budget for once like we did for eight years running at City yeah. Hall. Uh, but I, I'd love the, I like the, the, the progressiveness of the NDP, the pragmatism of the liberals and what has historically been the fiscal prudence of the conservatives and if one of those parties could kind of combine that a little bit it'd be great a little more they've all got tough work for them Mm -hmm. you know and and i wish them all well um but uh yeah for for me you know stay tuned um you know right now i'm just kind of weighing the different options and make a decision at some point in the future excellent um hey Thanks for this. I know how incredibly like uh, uncomfortable and painful this was for you, and uh, to do it. But no, no it's, you're, nice. it's nice to see you both. Yeah, yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time. Like I, I think, I think it's clear people do still kind of care about what yeah. you think about these things, even though you may be reluctant to share your thoughts. But people do care, so that's well. Thanks. Yeah, it's nice to chat about them, and um, you know, it, and say say hi to again. As we'll well. do. Yeah. Um, you know, I, if he I, ever I comes back, I mean, yeah. as soon as we yeah. get we get the focus yeah. group numbers on Jen, I mean, and I'm worried that <laughs> I'm worried that it's just going to become the Jen Girardi show. But you know, you never it's know. really just a matter of time. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. For so yeah. many reasons. No, but thanks for having me, and thanks for all the work that that you're both doing. I mean, public policy matters. Um, you know, and and what happens in the news matters. And so, um, you know, we talked about the trolls. And what I do appreciate about people reaching out, whether it's hostile or not, is that they care about the community, mm-hmm. you know. And so for me, I've always, always take it with a, take it with a grain of salt. People care about their community and they're going to have an opinion. And that's better than having no opinion at all. Absolutely. So uh, big thanks to Brian Bowman. Big thanks, thanks to Jen Zarati for being such a good egg, for coming in and you know, contributing to whatever this is. And, uh, <laughs> Anytime. Uh, big thanks to Adam Glynn, uh, producer uh, and the head honcho at CJNU. Uh, big thanks to the Free Press, who continues to push our podcast out. And uh, in tribute to uh, my missing regular uh, partner, Nagan Sinclair, McWitch. And uh, yeah, we will thanks, see Adam. you again in the near future. Thank you.